Greg. It's Pastor Rob. It's great to see you today. One of the things that my wife and I love to do is to drive around together. I know it sounds silly, but it it really is just a way for us to spend time. We, we talk to each other. We explore new things together. We laugh together. We stop and get ice cream. We go to the park and go swing or go for a walk in the woods, someplace new or different, or maybe someplace we've been before. The purpose is to be together. What we're doing is really of less importance. But one of the things we did as as part of that was we would drive around and go look at old houses. Now, our kids, um, because when they were young, for some reason, legally, we couldn't leave them at home when they were five and seven years old. Don't know what that's about. But just kidding. But we would take them with us and they would lament, oh no, we're going on a drive. That means we're going to have to go look at old houses. They were never as excited about it as mom and I were. But we would, we would go look at houses that had been on the market that were you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, maybe hadn't been lived in in a number of years or were at least not kept very well over that time for a myriad of reasons. And the reason wasn't to buy a house because for a lot of this time we had a house, a house we loved very much that was a great home for our family, great place for us to raise our kids. And... We had no intention of buying a different one. What it was really an opportunity to do, and still is when we do it sometimes, is an opportunity to dream. It's an opportunity to say, you know, the people who built this house, they had clearly had grand plans for it, right? They were, they were building this place probably for their families, and they put in their blood, sweat, tears, and probably every bit of cash they had, and then some, to make this something amazing, to make this something grand for their home, for their family to live in. And our dreams were, how could that be restored? How could that be returned to the grandeur it was originally designed for or intended to have. As we continue in our series, Unlikely Disciple, in fact, we've just got a couple of weeks left, we're following the life and ministry of Peter. And as we're doing that this week, we're going to begin to look at Peter, who, as we learned last week, was not (laughs) fulfilling the grand purpose that Jesus had designed and built his church for, his disciples for. In fact, Peter was denying Jesus. In fact, denied him three times in the course of just a couple of hours in public. Denied him. This week, we're going to look as he's beginning to be restored. Restored to what Jesus wants him and the other disciples to be. His witnesses to the world. To be on the mission that he has called them to. To do that, we're going to look at the book of Acts. We're going to spend most of our time in, in Acts chapter 2. But as we, we, fin- we begin the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is, this is just the last days of Jesus' time walking with his disciples. He has been raised from the dead. And he is, which is a miraculous event in and of itself, right? <laughs> Let's not discount that one. But he's been walking with them and teaching them and giving, him some, giving them some of his final instructions. And he tells them to go wait. He says, you know what? You're going to be my witnesses in Judeas, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the four corners of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
And then, but he says, until then, go wait. Go back to Jerusalem. Go home together and wait for Holy Spirit to come. And he will tell you what to do. He will show you what you need to do. And they don't know what that's going to look like. They know that Holy Spirit is a counselor and an advocate, as, as we read in the book of John. They've been, they've been told this is a promise Jesus has made to them that will be better than having Jesus with them himself. But they're not sure what it's going to look like. What they discover is that the coming of Holy Spirit is, is like nothing they've ever seen before. And it truly transforms the disciples and trans transforms Peter. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter being the one who steps up in front of a crowd of thousands of people. The same crowds that had witnessed Jesus' death and actually chosen to have him crucified instead of a known criminal named Barabbas. Say, release him and, and hang Jesus. That still boggles my mind. But this crowd... Peter, we see him in Acts chapter 2 standing up in front of them and unleashing this sermon of all sermons as he recounts the Old Testament prophecies that called for Jesus. And as he, as he speaks of this glorious Savior and what the message of salvation really means, why the gospel matters, he even Again, this guy who denied Jesus just a few weeks earlier even gets up in their faces and says, you're responsible, you people. You're responsible for Jesus' death. You know that. You killed your own Messiah. It's so powerful. Their response is, is they are cut to the core. In fact, it says that. If you, if you read with me in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, it says, when they heard this, when they heard Peter's conviction of them, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And they know in this moment what this sin is. They've got a list. We've all got a list. But right here, right now, this is you killed your own Messiah. And it says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And then he goes on and says, with many other words, he testified strongly and he urged them. Remember, coward Peter is now strong Peter. He's beginning to be restored to what God was calling them to. And he says, be saved from this corrupt generation. And so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. This is a bold and dangerous thing that Peter and the disciples were doing, unlike the Peter that we just saw just days before. As Peter as the, and the disciples are, are speaking, as we'll find out in just a minute, and I'm saving this on purpose because I want us to hear how this happens and, and, and what is done and what we need to take from it. But the people that are around that are listening from this crowd are from all corners of the known world, and they are hearing this message being spoken in their own native languages, even though the disciples never learned these languages. 
It's mind-boggling to them. And they're astounded and perplexed. In fact, that's what it says in Acts 2, 12 and 13. It says, they were astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But even others couldn't believe what they were hearing. And, they, and it says, but some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. Even though they were hearing the message of the gospel, even though they were hearing it in their own language, they didn't buy it. They, didn't, they weren't willing to listen. And, and that's not overly surprising, again, because these are the people that just crucified Jesus. Keep in mind, though, as we're trying to get inside the minds of, of Peter and the disciples here, they didn't know the outcome. Now, we can, we can read the rest of the text, and we know the outcomes. We know what has happened if we read through this, and we know it works out okay. Today's events work out pretty good. But as they're beginning to speak, they didn't know that 3,000 people would come to know the Lord. They didn't know if this crowd would accept them or not. That's dangerous stuff. This is a mob of thousands. If 3,000 were saved, imagine how many more were there. This is a mob of thousands of people that, as I said, in Luke chapter 23, were, were screaming, crying at the top of their lungs, free Barabbas, free Barabbas, this known criminal and killer of people, free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Peter would have, Peter and the disciples would have <laughs> no reason to believe this would turn out any differently, except that the Spirit called them to do it. These men are speaking truths to this crowd that no one wants to hear. Who wants to be told? You're responsible for this evil, horrible, bad thing. You need to change. Now, what this wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't just a group of men that had uh, <laughs> pulled the, the, a Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly Lion where they had before didn't have any courage, but they're in, in the Wizard of Oz, the Cowardly Lion is given this, this liquid courage that, that transforms him and suddenly he's courageous. It's not what this is. It's, it's not a, you know positive thinking. They didn't go back to their, their house in Jerusalem and sit together and pull a Thomas the train and say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, right? I'm gonna, I can do it, I can do it. And look, stare at themselves in the mirror and go, you're great, you're wonderful, you're an That's not what this is. That's not because they are disciplined, that they are soldiers following orders from their leader. These guys are fishermen. When, when Jesus was hung on a cross, they went home and went fishing. They don't just do because they're told to. That seems to be a human problem, period. End of discussion, right? That's just us. This isn't about more training. This isn't about being better prepared. What it was, was something we call Pentecost. The 50th day, which is what that means, Pentecost. The 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus. The 50th day, and with it, the arrival of Holy Spirit. And that is what I want us to see and what I've been holding back in this sermon from the very beginning and avoiding talking about is how Holy Spirit shows up. This should boggle our minds as I'm sure it did theirs. This is Acts chapter two, verses 
1 through 3. Listen to this. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Remember, that's what Jesus told them to do. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine they were all sitting together in this one place? There's something powerful about the people of God when they come together. There's a reason why in the book of Hebrews, Paul tells them to not forsake meeting together. Don't stop doing that. There's something about being together in a group that has the potential to encourage, to strengthen, and to allow Holy Spirit to work in ways that it can't work or won't work when we are simply by ourselves. It allows us to see the Spirit working through others around us. It is an encouragement to us as we see it working in somebody else and him, him doing something miraculous in somebody else in the room, another member of our church or our family or whatever it is. It encourages everyone else to see that. You can't do that when you're by yourself. There's something about being together. Being together affirms a unity in purpose and practice. We are moving together and we are experiencing all of this together. We are seeing it together And we're going through it together. And we can look at each other and say, did you see that? I saw that. I cannot believe what I just saw. It's described as this violent rushing wind that comes in. This this is a sudden moment. It It absolutely disrupts everything they are doing. Maybe they're praying. Maybe they're eating. It just says they're all together in one place. They might, who knows what they're doing. They're talking, they're watching TV, they're looking up listings for old houses they can go. Just kidding. But they're doing something. The point is, they're together. And all of a sudden, whatever it is they had planned, it's like God said, it's cute. You guys had plans. You know what you wanted to do. You were all comfortable. But I got something else in mind. And he fills the whole house. I wonder if it looked like a haze or, or a smoke. Could you see it? Was it moving from person to person or was it just, just expanding and filling up everything? I kind of see it as though it's, it's replacing the air itself. It's filling the lungs and, and the spirits of the disciples. Can you imagine such a scene? I wonder how we would respond to such a thing if it happened in front of us. If it happened in a group of a few people or it happened in all of us in a grand church building, whatever it is, I wonder how we would respond. Because it would throw off whatever else we had going on and it would cause us to drop everything. Doesn't matter what the plan is. Drop it and you have no choice. (laughs) No choice but to see what's going on right in front of you. And I think about the things that can so easily throw us off and how we generally respond to things when we're gathered together. And this is really meant to to discuss when you're corporately gathered together. When we're gathered together and something happens, maybe 
there's a misstep in the order of the service or one of the, the microphones doesn't work as it should or maybe a song is too loud or someone claps out of rhythm or whatever it is. I know it sounds silly, but those things throw us off. And if I think about our response to those things, our response is not, holy cow, what could Holy Spirit be doing here and now? Our response is generally, that is really annoying. Why are you messing with my world? Can I just tell you something? The arrival of Holy Spirit is absolutely disruptive and unpredictable. It is intended to upend everything. How we respond to that, frankly, depends on the position of our heart. It depends on whether or not we are open to having him change and rock our worlds, or if we're just going to say, no, 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 (laughs) that's not what I had planned. That's not what I was doing today. And one of the things I want to convey about this, this moment of Pentecost, this time when they're watching tongues of fire, which admittedly is a miraculous thing that is, by the way, not spoken of in scripture before this. They didn't know this was coming. But I want us to understand that Holy Spirit continues to move today in much the same way. He will not move in a way that's predictable. He does not move in a way that fits nicely into whatever our plans are. He's in the business of restoring and he's gonna upend us. And the truth is, this is what the New Testament teaches us about the presence of Holy Spirit, that he was moving and working and changing, that he would blind Paul in order to and when he was Saul, in order to convince him that he needed to see the truth and bring him over, that he would save people from shipwrecks, that he would bring people back to life, that he would, the Holy Spirit is intended to do incredible things. And if you were just to read the New Testament all by itself, I think you would get that picture that he is alive and well and moving. I think Francis Chan says it well. He says, when you read the New Testament, you see the Holy Spirit was supposed to change everything. And that's what happens here at Pentecost. They did. It changed everything. Chan goes on and says, so that this gathering of people who call themselves Christians had this supernatural element about him, about them. I really think that's what it's intended to be today. I just wonder whether or not we're willing to let it. We're willing to let it. Or if we think we're in this place where we've got it all figured out. Again, this tongues of fire, this isn't mentioned in scripture before. And like the crowd that they were about to speak to, in this moment, when they're in this house together and this is all going on, I'm sure they were perplexed, right? We just read about the crowd being perplexed. I'm sure that they were perplexed at what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. They were told to wait, to be ready, to pray, to be thankful and humble and be faithful, and the Spirit would do something. But their response, their response, it says, they acted as the Spirit enabled them. It was just a miraculous event with a grander purpose, and that purpose is to spread the gospel. It, it led them to do things that didn't come naturally. This isn't something they normally did. Remember, they're speaking in tongues. They're using languages they never learned and 
they're about to go use it to speak to crowds that weeks ago they hid from, they ran from, and they're about to do something they never thought they could ever see themselves doing unless Jesus was literally standing right next to them. They just didn't think they could do it. And here they are, they're doing this because God has done something amazing in them and they're not questioning it. This isn't their natural response, this is a godly response. In fact, Charles Stanley says it this way, earthly wisdom is doing what comes naturally. Godly wisdom is doing what the Holy Spirit compels us to do. It's where fear becomes secondary. It's where embarrassment is non-existent. It's where there is no second guessing and wondering, should I or shouldn't I? Peter and the disciples are transformed because they are willing to let the Holy Spirit Pick them up, take them where he wants them to go, and speak through them. I have a friend, a close friend, who reminds me regularly that Holy Spirit wants to be known here. It wants to be, and he's talking about Logan County, right? It wants to be known here. Well, Holy Spirit wants to be known here. He wants to be known in Ohio. He wants to be known in the United States. And he wants to be, be known beyond the four corners of the earth. But you know where it starts? It starts here with us right here, right now. And what Peter has learned and what's led to his restoration and what's led to the restoration of the disciples is a willingness to be open to whatever the Spirit is calling them to do, to expect the miraculous, and when it shows up, to take it and run, to not ask questions, to not second guess, to not let fear override them, but to just take it and go and do what he tells them to do. And that is the body of believers that I believe Christ has designed each of us and all of us to be. Whether you're here at Gretna or you're at another church or you're just sitting at home right now, he has designed you to be at your best, fully restored from whatever feels like is broken up and busted and beaten up right now by his spirit, by Holy Spirit, your counselor, your advocate, your friend, and your guide. What I would ask is that you are willing to listen to what he's telling you to do and simply do it. And that is when you find out just how great our God is and just how much he loves us. I'm going to pray for you as we close today. Father God, it is mind-boggling that you would send to us your Holy Spirit. And scenes like this, scenes like Pentecost with tongues of fire and and speaking in languages and, and people changing and oh my, it just boggles the mind, this kind of scene. Lord God, I pray for your spirit to show up in such a way. I pray for it to show up in a rushing wind. I pray for it to, to encounter us, to challenge us, to disrupt our worlds and remind us that you are present and that you have a mission and a purpose for each of us and for all of us. Lord God, I pray that those who are listening today will hear that. 
They will remember that you are going to guide them somewhere that they had never thought would happen and may have never crossed their minds, but that you do the miraculous for the sake of the world, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of bringing glory to your Son. Father God, let us be your people. Let us listen intently and act wholeheartedly when you lead. Let us not try to redefine your mission for us. Let us not try to change. Let us not try to let our, let us not have our fears dissuade us. Father God, thank you for your spirit of courage. Thank you for the example that you've shown us here today with Peter and the disciples of being transformed and restored. And let us, he as Peter was, unlikely disciples who are fully committed to you. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen and amen.